disagree. I disagree, Gary. Welcome back to Pulp Fiction. It's a show about what divides us. My name is Rocky and Drew's name is Drew. But this week, my name is Drew and Drew's name is Rocky because we are talking about Call Me By Your Name. (laughs) Oh my God, that was excellent. I can't believe I didn't expect that. (laughs) I I always got one in the chamber. Um, Yeah, I guess just to get us started, uh, would you like to share a little bit about your history with uh call me by your name yes oh my god this is the most exciting part for me because the way that i came to this movie is so weird (laughs) um Mm -hmm. okay so it's my freshman year of college and i'm taking italian uh because of course i am um and you know one day my italian professor is like hey have you seen call me by your name and i'm like no (laughs) um and she's like well you specifically really need to see it (laughs) okay and like i knew it was a gay movie so i was like yeah okay like i guess this sad little gay kid who's taking italian in college obviously needs to see call me by your name um Mm -hmm. but that it was just really funny um And I was like, okay, see, the thing is, I haven't seen it because I'm scared that it will destroy me. (laughs) And she was like, that is reasonable. And I was like, so if you can promise that it's not going to destroy me, I will watch it. But I don't know, man, seems pretty, pretty risky. And she was like, you know, I cannot promise you that. (laughs) I was Mm -hmm. like, (laughs) okay. Cool, fair enough. Thank you for being honest with me. Um, but anyway, then I I flew home for spring break, and on the airplane, one of the movies was Call Me By Your Name, and I was like, okay, well, I'm on an airplane, so, like, no matter what happens, I don't think I'm gonna, like, have, like, a messy cry here, <laughs> which is really what I wanted to avoid. Um, and so I watched it, and I loved it. Um, and I came back from spring break and I was like, hey, I, I watched Call Me By Your Name. You were right. I did love it. And also it did kind of destroy me. (laughs) It Mm. did kind of ruin my life. Um, and I was like, I know that there's a book and I think I want to read it. And she was like, okay, so here's the thing about the book is that one of my grad school professors wrote it. Mm. And I don't like him. <laughs> mm. <laughs> and I have read the book and I didn't really like it, but if you really want to read it, I will lend you my copy. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, Fascinating. So, yeah, so I did. I borrowed her copy um, and it took me months to read it. By the time I returned it to her, she was like, I completely forgot that I gave this to you. Um, and she was right. I didn't, (laughs) I didn't really like that. Sure. Um, which I'm sure we will get into as it goes. But yeah, that was my introduction to the movie. I've seen it like a couple times since then. It's not a movie that I've watched very much. Um, but it was really meaningful to me the first time I watched it. 
um, to the point where later I saw that they were selling the DVD where I was working, and I was like, okay, I guess I'll buy this just for when I want to be gay and really sad. <laughs> sure. Um, you never know. Yeah. And then I did not watch that DVD until today when I watched it for this. I bought it like <laughs> two years ago or something. Love that. Yeah. I My background with Call Me By Your Name, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I got Movie Pass when I when I went to college. And uh, so this was this was during my freshman year as well. Um, and it came out over Thanksgiving. So I was at home. And uh, I, b- I believe I used MoviePass to see it. Maybe I didn't. But uh, yeah, the, um, the you know, it, it was a movie that like even before it came out, <laughs> there was a lot of discourse around it. And I remember my dad, I remember me and my dad being in a movie when we saw the trailer for it. And I don't remember what movie that was, but I remember when I came out of the movie and I told him that I'd seen Call Me By Your Name, he said, isn't that a pedophile movie? <laughs> yeah so (laughs) but um yeah i i i liked it at the time i've seen it probably twice since then um haven't read the book not uh especially interested in it i you know Again, it, it, first of all, it's a situation where, like, the story is not really what's drawing me. And second of all, uh, just, like, what I know about the author is already enough for me to be, like, I'm, I'm not interested. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, no, for me, like, this movie is not about the story whatsoever either. Like, I mean, it's a little about the story, I guess, but it's so much more about, like, the aesthetics of the movie and, like... I think it's a movie that really does a good job of portraying, like, what shame feels like without ever using the word shame. Mmm. I like that. On this watch, I was definitely noting the, um, the sort of progression of Elio's feelings and how he externalizes it as, like bitterness at first and is you know sort of is is clearly pushing him away at first and um yeah i I think the 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 sort of like internal progression uh that he has throughout the movie is is really great yeah so as always i have uh some notes on the history of of this film that we can get into sort of as we're going through it uh the the story starts with the book call me by your name the debut novel by andre Asaman comes out in 2007 to critical acclaim um and as is often the case we've done a couple episodes on movies based on books and as with uh silence of the lambs and love simon these other <laughs> episodes that we've done uh this book was optioned by a pair of producers uh before it even came out <laughs> they 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 got a you know they got a pre-release copy and they snatched up those those rights the two producers were howard rosenman who is this legendary producer and peter spears who is kind of a kind of a c-list actor who was producing for the first time just read the book and was like this is really good i want to produce this and so they uh the funny thing about like the early stages of this movie because you know it, it did start in 2007 and they were like let's see if we can make this happen the funny thing is that like they went through a bunch of like 
directors who they were considering there were these uh, uh italian directors gabriele buccino uh Ferzano's petek sam taylor johnson was one of the directors they considered oh <laughs> which is wild um but like they couldn't get anyone to agree and it sort of went uh dormant for a couple years the thing is that by that time that it went dormant they already had james ivory they like got to him first to to produce it and and you know he was just like a mutual friend of the two producers and then they got and they also had luca guadagnino who was just like Mm -hmm. they wanted to shoot in italy and he was like you know how to shoot in italy so (laughs) so help us out so they already had both of them but they're like we can't find a writer and a director (laughs) so it just sits on a shelf for like five years yeah which like doesn't surprise me because as you alluded to it is a story that can very easily feel gross. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I could definitely see it being a thing where, you know, they talk to all these directors and um I mean, especially thinking about the state of the industry in 2007, yeah. <laughs> I think there were a lot of ways it could have gone wrong. Yeah, like absolutely. It's a gay movie, it's a movie with like a weird and terrible age gap um like i totally understand why people would look at it in 2007 and be like yeah i don't want to touch this actually (laughs) so what happens is uh about five years later Luca Guadagnino and James Ivory are like, let's see if we, like, like, let's just write a script as an experiment and see if we can work this out ourselves. Uh, and so, like, like Guadagnino's proposal is, like, let's both direct it, and James Ivory's like, I'll do it, but I want to write the script. And so, uh, it, it, it's like Guadagnino's involved with the script, so is Walter Fasano, who becomes the editor. Uh, but, like, the t- Guadagnino and Fasano are working on another movie, so it's mostly the, uh, you know writing it out and the script is finished in late 2015 and uh, they send it to the author and the author is on board and he actually calls it better than his own book um he's so right. he's, he, he's aware of that at least yeah um and you know they they were having this trouble like getting studios behind it a lot of studios were like uh some of there there were you know studios felt that there wasn't really any conflict in the story and they were like can we have like an evil character (laughs) (sighs) god imagine being so straight that you look at the story and you're like there's no conflict here (laughs) (laughs) oh man but like once they actually have a script they you know they they're able to get some funding for it i think especially just like having a james ivory script probably yeah. <laughs> helped with that a lot too so they get like there's like eight studios funding this movie as is often the case with indie movies these days it's you know an italian brazilian french american co-production um oh, yeah. the yeah <laughs> the italian ministry of culture uh puts up some of the funding for it uh they and what what the 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 backers the initial budget that was put forward is like 12 million dollars and they want a 12 week shoot and the backers are like we'll give you three and a half million and a five week shoot (laughs) so that's what they ended up having jesus christ uh they also persuaded james ivory to step down as co-director and then it was just you know james ivory script luca guadagnino direct as it is 
uh, and Guadagnino made several changes to the script. Uh, there was originally a voiceover narration, and there was uh, a lot more nudity in the original script. Makes were, a lot of sense. Uh, yeah. <laughs> having <laughs> having read the book, that really tracks for me. Yeah. Also, like, in the early days, like, when Army Hammer was first approached, he, like, read the script, and he was like, I don't know if I'm comfortable with this much nudity, so yeah. it's possible that that was also part of it. Yeah. Um initially there was a point where shia labeouf was attached to this project <laughs> Shia LaBeouf! <laughs> who was he gonna play i think he was given his age at the time i think he would have been oliver oh my god <laughs> that would have been a totally different movie <laughs> It would have been a little bit. I will get into it. I do think on a certain level, this movie's only problem is that Army Hammer is miscast. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like, um, they, I don't know, just like if they had cast someone who looks like a grad student, I don't think there would have been like any discourse about it, honestly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the thing is that like, again, this movie was in process for like 10 years. So they were introduced to Army Hammer mm -hmm. around the time The Social Network came out and he had just played a grad student and he was 24. Yes. And they were, in and they were introduced to Timothy Chalamet in 2013 when he was 17. Woof. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. And Chal Chalamet had like already read the book and he yeah. was like, I love this. I'm on board. Yeah. Um, that tracks. <laughs> it does. <laughs> Based on everything I know about Timothy Chalamet, it does not surprise me that he read that book and he was like, I want to be in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> but then it's, it's just, you know, that that confluence of factors. And by the time they actually get to filming, they're 20 and 30. Yeah. And like... <laughs> That's the start of the travel for sure. Yeah. So when Chalamet and Hammer signed on, they both like... It was in their contracts that they wouldn't do full frontal nudity. So, so it was like it was like all taken off the table. Um, James Ivory was upset about this, and he went on this whole rant about how it's a double standard in American cinema that no one bats an eye about uh, women being nude in movies, and then you know none of the men want to do it. I mean, he's right. <laughs> he is right. He is right. <laughs> I think like as just going through like all the quotes about this movie and how it turned out I'm like I'm like Ivory was right about everything. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm all for actors doing only what they feel comfortable with. Absolutely. But also I think that Full Frontal would have made like perfect sense in this movie. Like this is the type of movie where one would do it like if not in Call Me By Your Name then where? <laughs> Yeah, and I and I think that like at times it could be said that like the the attraction is sort of watered down by that lack of nudity. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And also the shame. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the shame, yeah. And I wouldn't want there to be like, you know, I I, I mean they say that Guadagnino cut out a lot of nudity. I yeah. feel like there there's a middle ground there where yeah. there's like some some strong initial nudity. Yeah. And then, like, maybe one or two other scenes of nudity. Yeah, <laughs> like, I'm not saying they should have been naked for the whole movie, but, um, yeah, I think a finding a middle ground would have been nice. Yeah. Well, and also, I would like to see them naked, but that is beside the point. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> 
The uh, five-week shoot takes place in May of 2016. The movie was shot in chronological order in order to like show the progression of their of their relationship in real time. Mm. And uh, Chalamet and Hammer also spent a month together in Italy before they started shooting. Uh, they had not. They didn't do a screen test before that. They yeah. they hadn't like really met before they came to Italy, and then they just spent a month together. I love that for them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> good stuff uh guadagnino selected the the movie's music himself he initially when he reached out to sufjan stevens what he says was he off sufjan stevens was going to be the narrator okay interesting he was going to play older elio and also write songs from the perspective of older elio yeah and he ended up just doing the latter hmm I have never heard Sufjan Stevens talk. Um, <laughs> I'm That's not funny. sure if he is American? <laughs> question mark. <laughs> but um, yeah, I have no idea how I would feel about that. When you said that they had that it originally had a narration, I had assumed that it was going to be Timothy Chalamet doing the narration um, because, as far as I remember. The book is, um, it's in first person from Elio's perspective, and as far as I remember, it's in present tense. I might be wrong about that. It's been a couple years. Um, but, yeah, and that's that's really part of the downfall of the book, in my opinion, um, that we're just, like, way too much inside Elio's head to the point where it feels like voyeuristic and a little gross because like he's 17 <laughs> right. um and he's having all these horny thoughts which is fine 17 year olds are allowed to have horny thoughts but I don't love this like older guy writing that book about like an yeah age, it's already an age gap relationship and he's an adult and he's writing a 17 year old having these like real horny thoughts and it just starts to feel gross for me and like especially because you know it's decidedly not like a ya novel you know mm -hmm. i think there is room for me for there to be ya novels where the teens are horny because guess what? Teens are horny in real life. Um, That's true. But when you add all the extra context for me, that's where it starts to feel gross, where it's like, oh, you're an adult man writing a book for adults about a 17-year-old who is really horny for this adult, and that feels gross. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I definitely see what you're saying there. I think it is... I don't know. I think it's an interesting idea. I think the the movie would have probably suffered in a lot of ways from having narration. I think that's the case with most movies, honestly. But it's another thing where, I mean, we'll get into it, but they've, there's been, Guadagnino's had all this talk since the movie came out about doing a sequel. And I think that to the extent that Ivory had this idea of let's have older Elio sort of reflecting on this first love, that... You know, I think that just speaks to, like, kind of what is resonant about the story in a way that talking about doing a sequel doesn't. Yeah. 
Yeah, because also, like, if you add the narration, you lose so much of the subtlety of this movie. Like, the whole extended bit where, like, about Oliver ending every interaction with later. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know, it's like, it's a lot more harped on in the book to the point where, like it just starts to get annoying where you're like, come on. Like, I know that teenagers are assholes, but you're really being a little asshole right now. (laughs) Um, And, you know, it makes you like Elio less. Whereas in the movie, you know, he brings it up once and then it becomes like an extended bit where like other people will point it out. And that to me feels a lot more playful and feels a lot more like, you know, I'm not going to start to hate the main character because he's annoying. <laughs> yeah, especially with the, like, resolution of uh, Oliver pointing it at himself. Yeah. I, I feel like it was, that that bit was actually really tastefully done in the movie, yeah. I thought. Yeah, it was so lovely. Uh, yeah, let's see. So, Sufjan, uh, like I said, declined the role. And he wrote uh, two original songs that he handed in days before shooting started. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Timothy actually listened to the two songs like in an earpiece as he was doing the last scene. Yeah. <laughs> that really that's like the one thing I knew about the production of this movie and it just like I think about it all the time. Like I'm lying yeah. in bed trying to fall asleep <laughs> and I'm like Timothy Chalamet at the end of calling by your name. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> yeah it just breaks my gay little heart yeah i mean it's you know i i think it makes so much sense like knowing that he was i mean just i don't know the like the way that the song interacts with the last shot i think is so well done i think knowing that he was actually listening to it it's like yeah you know it feels time no it totally comes through uh there's the famous bit about how uh army hammer's balls had to be edited out of the (laughs) Of the final cut, they were visible through his shorts. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! You know how people talk about the butthole cut of cats? Yeah, this is. <laughs> we need the Give balls us cut. the balls edit. <laughs> the balls edit. So, uh, yeah, you know, movie comes out, the premieres at Sundance in January 2017, gets a standing ovation, Sony picks it up for like $6 million, uh, premieres on uh, Thanksgiving weekend that year, it ended up making 42 mil worldwide, has a 94 on Rotten Tomatoes, it won the Oscar for Best Adapted Screenplay, making James Ivory the oldest ever winner in that category, uh, and yeah, since then they've been talking about a sequel, so we, we can get into that later. Yeah. Um, you know there's a book sequel, right? There is a book sequel. It was uh, announced after they were talking about doing a movie sequel, okay. and it seems like it might have it might have destroyed the the movie sequel. <laughs> okay. Weird, weird choice. Um, but fair enough. <laughs> I I was not sure about the the relationship between the book sequel and the movie sequel. We will get into it. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, call me by your name. First thing we see is this I I mean this really well done opening credit sequence. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. The the opening and closing credits 
of this movie are so beautiful. Um, Absolutely. But yeah, so the opening credits are like this series of images of like classical Greek sculptures, I believe. I'm not a classicist. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And um, with like the the hand-lettered typeface that they did for this movie, which like the typeface... God, just everything about the design of this movie is so perfectly done. <laughs> it's so it's really well done. And it's so tailored specifically to like the things that I enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's there's something to how like the handwritten like like the, the handwritten typeface it sort of makes you uh focus a little more on it and sort of gets you into this space of like taking your time mm-hmm. and paying attention to things you know yeah and it feels very much like um like they're annotating the photographs you know mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. like they're they're like the letters seem like they're circling specific things you know yeah and this is one of the uh the the big like sort of story elements of this movie is that elio's father is a professor a a, a classics professor of some kind and uh and uh, oliver is his uh his latest uh assistant yeah <laughs> yeah they have this like weird residency question mark um where they yeah. will like take in a grad student for the summer and that grad student will be elio's father's assistant as they are working mm-hmm. on their thesis um, yeah, there. It's an interesting little. I haven't even thought about this before, but just like there's been all these previous grad students. Has Elio had like had any kind of feelings for the previous ones, or <laughs> you know that like from what I remember in the book, he seems to view it as like a mild annoyance. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we see that. I, I do think we see that played out in the like the first actual scene, yeah. which is. Uh, elio in in his uh, sister's room and the car pulls up and he's like the usurper is here yeah and he's like annoyed about the fact that he's cleaning out his room um and when he goes down to take oliver's bag he he turns to his dad and like pretty pointedly says my room (laughs) (laughs) and his dad is like yeah your room it's been your room every year (laughs) (laughs) There are just just going back to this whole this whole residency thing. There, I this is a little later, but um, one of the scenes I enjoyed the most, at least watching it this time, is the scene where uh, the the this etymology discussion that uh, Oliver has with the with the dad about the the root of the word apricot, and it turns out to be a test. Yeah, <laughs> that he does oh all questions. Yes, the the etymology scene. Mm. um that's really like that's the type of shit where i'm like oh they made this movie for me (laughs) (laughs) they made this movie for me to enjoy like it's a movie that's in three languages with a couple of lines in german um it's a movie where there is like a plot important etymology scene (laughs) and it's gay and 
all of Elio's outfits are like outfits that I would wear. Like mm-hmm. they were like, how how do we make a movie that Drew specifically will enjoy? <laughs> <laughs> they did one for Drew. I the like I the, on this watch the first thing like my first thought in going into the movie was like Army Hammer just looks so huge. <laughs> yeah, he's enormous. <laughs> He's so big, yeah. <laughs> and they, I think, I think they, like, frame him big, like, yeah. they, you know, I think on a certain level, there was an, in, there was, like, some intention behind the idea of, like, casting someone physically imposing to sort of, like, play up that, the, the, the contrast and the attraction and all that, yeah. um, and I think it is, again, I think there, it's a miscast in some ways, yeah. but, uh, yeah, it, um, <laughs> he's big yeah and like before you even talked about the contrast i was gonna say like his bigness is so emphasized by the fact that timothy chalamet just looks like a little boy (laughs) at all times (laughs) he's pretty small he's just this scrawny little shrimp and i love him (laughs) yeah (laughs) just uh a wafy delicate man <laughs> yeah delicate is yeah. is a good word for it but I, I there's so it's sort of funny like this sort of surliness that he has uh for the at least the first half of this movie um but like so, sort of when we're introduced to him that's sort of his, his defining character trait of mm-hmm. that he's sort of like it is above it all and like the, the, the sort of annoyed by everything around yeah. him and like i don't know that just reads as so like so authentically what it's like to be a teenager where you are this like soft delicate little creature Mm -hmm. but you're like no fuck you get away from me (laughs) (laughs) yeah you're just so angry all the time and yeah it's because you're so soft (laughs) Yeah, and I think that really, like, flows very nicely into, like, the budding feelings of desire and the, like, shame and aggression that is sort of his response to that. Yeah, absolutely, because, like, the sort of, the realization of being queer is obviously a really vulnerable moment, um, and also just liking someone is really vulnerable, and like nothing is gonna cause you to put up walls like that nothing else is really gonna cause you to put up walls the way that elio is doing in the beginning of the movie like it's this is why like for me this is a movie about shame because like he's just so clearly like so scared and so like ashamed of the fact that like there are soft parts to him yeah absolutely yeah and like the way that like when people around him start to realize it yeah and like even as he's coming to terms with it the idea that like other people are aware of it it really like sends him back yeah and then there's i i mean there's this turn you know once he once he kind of confesses later in the movie there's this turn where suddenly he is like pushing and pushing and pushing and he, he wants to like take it however far it'll go yeah, because also it's like 
it's like um i don't know if i'm using this phrase correctly but it's like a watershed moment you know it's like you poke one hole in the dam and it just all comes crashing down and he's like hey i mm, love me (laughs) please love me (laughs) (laughs) yeah and there's there's an interesting play with uh Oliver sort sort of clearly has this this guilt, and there's this scene where he where he says something like, um, "Yeah, he has he has this uh, concern about about messing him up with, with with this relationship," and he just you know has this instinctual like, um, "I know that this is going to break you because this can't last." And you know, obviously, we find out at the end of the movie that he's had this this girlfriend for three years, and he's yeah. he, he you know gets gets yeah. married a couple months later so like Ugh. he he's very aware of that <laughs> but like he he sort of can't express it to elio because elio is you know and, and like and like if he really you, you know he would break his heart anyway so yeah. you you can argue about whether he he doesn't necessarily do the right thing but <laughs> but yeah. he um has this conflict about it and i feel like i don't know um, because that that part of the movie where he he says to Elio like I don't want to mess you up, um, because we don't have any background information about like what's going on in his life, to me that feels a little bit like an acknowledgement of like, hey, this feels like it could maybe be a predatory situation. <laughs> yeah and because like that comes right after like the part where he says where elio is like um i'm actually not sure if this is the same scene um i don't have access to linear time but um there's a different part where elio is like why didn't you give me a sign and oliver is like i did when we were when we were playing volleyball and i put my my hand on your shoulder and you reacted like i had molested you Mm-hmm. so like in both of those moments in the movie it feels very much like like oliver is acknowledging like hey we're kind of on shaky ground here <laughs> um yeah. this is yeah. maybe a little weird um and like so the first time that i watched this movie i was 18 um i was like first of all i had that attitude that 18 year olds have of like Ah, yes, I'm an adult, and nothing can ever hurt me again. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) And also, um, I, you know, a lot of pretty terrible things have happened to me during my life. And some of them have been somewhat similar to, like, the sort of question marks that hang around elio and oliver's relationship um and as those things were happening to me i felt like i was the person in the position of power because Mm -hmm. that's what happens when you get groomed (laughs) um and so i knew that since i hadn't seen this movie in a long time you know i've seen it like once since then and since the last time I watched this movie, I've done a lot of, like, processing around my trauma. Um, I was really looking for it this time, and I was like, okay, you know, like, there are people who think that this movie is predatory, obviously. Um, that's why we're talking about it. Um, and 
I want to look for it. I want to see, like, does does Oliver feel like a predator to me? And the conclusion that I kind of reached was, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Here, I think, is the ground that the movie stands on, and it's kind of uh, uneasy also. But, like, I definitely think in these scenes that we're mentioning, it's clear that the movie is aware of the potentially predatory undertones of this relationship. I think... The perspective is that, like, it's sort of ambivalent to that because it's really about a doomed relationship. Yeah. And the, you know, I, I, I think fundamentally this is a, a coming-of-age film more so than uh, than uh, romance as such. Mm-hmm. It's not a movie about the relationship as much as it is the effect on Elio of the yeah. relationship. But, yeah, I think, I, I think the movie's sort of point of view on it is, like, it you know it can't last and it's you know this fleeting like summer of love kind of thing so they 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 sort of leave that question hanging because of that and that's why i think it's it's such a stupid idea to do a sequel yeah yeah because this movie is about like how doomed relationships like affect us and like why why there is a point in having doomed relationships you know because Mm -hmm. i feel like i've i've interacted with so many people who are like oh you know like i'm i'm seeing this girl or whatever but i'm moving away at the end of the summer um you know that sort of cliched movie thing um and they're like so yeah i don't want to do it because it's not going to go anywhere and i'm like well i don't know if it's not gonna go anywhere is a good enough reason to not do it like do you want to do you feel like you can communicate about the fact that this is not a long-term thing if so yeah do it like that's fine (laughs) that's normal yeah that's pretty much exactly how i feel about it Uh, you know in in terms of how i approach relationships um and yeah like you said i think this yeah this the, the this film like i said it's a it's a coming of age thing and it's you know how how this um how having that relationship like i said it has it can have like a permanent effect on someone and god yeah i just think there's like it, it's so effectively structured the, the 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 jump forward in time at the end i'm just thinking about and and how we um God, the, 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 that phone conversation, the, like, I remember everything, and uh, it, it's so well done. Yeah. Another major kind of recurring element in this movie is that both of these characters are Jewish and existing in a very not-Jewish space. Yeah. And um, the the first conversation that they really have is about being the only Jews in town, uh elio asks him about the star of david necklace and he says that he has one but uh, his mom says that we're uh, jews of discretion and then i i don't think i had noticed this before that it's actually it's after they hook up that elio yeah. starts wearing his his star david necklace yeah. um <laughs> yeah i mean that's a whole can of worms but i think that uh there's definitely an idea of like I mean, again, it sort of ties into that idea of, like, what what can be gained from that relationship and that idea of, like, um, being, hmm, like, it's a form of defiance in a way, but it's also an acceptance of, 
identity and sort of taking a piece of of the person who you who you're having that relationship with also yeah absolutely and also like i'm not really gonna get into this because like more intelligent or people who know more about this than me have talked about it a lot on the internet but like that overlap of like queerness and jewishness like i don't really feel qualified to talk about it because i'm not jewish but like it is something that i see discussed so much (laughs) yeah and the fact that that is a part of this movie feels so like beautiful to me like because i don't i don't think i've ever seen that in a movie before like i I haven't watched very many, like, you know, artsy movies like this. Um, I know that there are other movies that are about being queer and Jewish, but I personally have not seen another movie that talks about that. Um, Yeah. And also, the ones that I know about are about lesbians. So, that is different. (laughs) Yeah. I, I, first of all, just another thing that's done really, like, subtly and cleverly in terms of, like, scripting in this movie, but I also think, um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's the, like, parallel ideas of alienation, and there's the, um, the, the, the parallel ideas of, like, Oliver being, uh, comfortable with being Jewish, and Elio being a Jew of discretion, yeah, like, yeah (laughs) there's a lot going on there for sure it also is interesting because it feels like like throughout the movie oliver is a man who in my reading has already realized that he is some flavor of queer um and has decided to live in the closet whereas Mm -hmm. elio is like just coming to this realization um and i think like that's an interesting parallel where like elio like you know his whole life has been brought up to be like a jew of discretion whereas oliver is just like openly jewish and it's not a big deal in his life at least yeah so far as we see that read of Oliver is so interesting, just thinking about, like, the scene where Elio uh, confesses and Oliver so- sort of has this this reaction that's similar to the reactions that, that Elio is having near the beginning of the movie. Yeah. Where he's sort of pushing back and being like, we just can't talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then, like, the scene in the woods where, like, after they kiss and Elio is, like, sort of pushing for more... Oliver is like, we haven't done anything to be to be ashamed, ashamed of. of. Wow. And there's like this implicit yet. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's the... like he's saying, We haven't done anything to be ashamed of yet. And I don't I I don't know if I can go there right now. You know, that's Yeah, he says he says, like, we've been good, I want to be good, yeah. like, gr- great stuff. Yeah. And also, oof. Ouch. Yeah. <laughs> God. It's heavy. <laughs> yeah. Looking at other stuff in my notes here, uh, the, the in the beginning, there's a scene of um, Oliver at breakfast, 
and he uh just uh, another reflection of his sort of uh size there's you know he's like they have soft boiled eggs and he like destroys his while he's not paying attention yeah. <laughs> oh god yeah the the vibe that i'm getting is that you are seeing um army hammer as a miscast because he's too old basically yeah i i i think um it is basically that that I, th- I think they could have cast someone who uh, looks like a grad student and maybe like even knowing that Army Hammer is Jewish, just someone who like is, is more it has more of a Jewish look because <laughs> it's such a visual film. Uh, and I, I think that, uh, li- like I said, I think there's there's some like deliberate ideas of like having Army Hammer be this like. Having this big like size contrast yeah. and like sort of look contrast between him having him be this very like you know stereotypically handsome yeah like like movie star kind of guy and but like I I also do think that like it would have been better <laughs> if they had uh, cast someone a little younger yeah because I agree with you that he is miscast but for me. What strikes me as odd about the casting is that Army Hammer is too, like, charming. Like, he doesn't seem... Mm. Like, he has, like, that physical awkwardness that the movie is sort of trying to communicate to us. Like, when he breaks the egg, you know, that's... I'm reading that as a moment that's supposed to be kind of awkward, but, like, Army Hammer does not seem to me like a man who, like, doesn't know his strength. Yeah. And there are also moments where, like, I, I mean, again, just talking about those moments where he falls into a kind of, like, pettiness and, you know, there there are just these cracks in the character that, yeah. like, you don't necessarily buy from Army Hammer. I think this is a really good Army Hammer performance, yeah, by the way. Yeah, I agree. Like, I, he's wonderful. Um, and I love to look at him in this movie. Um, sure. But I, you know, I don't necessarily buy it when, like... He's reading through his thesis, and he's like, God, this sucks. And he calls Elio over, and he's like, hey, what do you think about this? And Elio is like, it probably made sense when you wrote it. (laughs) And then he throws himself into the pool. Like, I don't buy that from Army Hammer. Yeah, I I see exactly what you're saying. You know? I, I think I think he was really good at playing like um yeah like like charming guys with a sinister side and this character is like an an awkward guy with a sweet side yeah. and he doesn't really like like he can't really play that yeah um something sort of um miscellaneous that I wanted to bring sure. up was um so I I have not taken any movie classes all of my my movie thoughts are just like from my own brain um i have noticed a pattern that i am calling the gay nosebleed sure (laughs) um i don't know if that's a thing but it's a thing that happens in this movie where you're so gay that it gives you a nosebleed And I looked it up, and the only thing that came up was, like, an anime trope of, like, you get horny, and then it gives you a nosebleed. But this feels different, where it's, like, it's, like, a gay shame nosebleed. It's, like, you realize something gay about yourself, and then 
your nose starts bleeding. Um, it happens also in The Danish Girl, which is a terrible movie. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely, I'm sure there are other examples. Yeah. I can't think of any, but I, I definitely, as soon as you said that, I was like, oh, that happens all the time. Yeah. The you, you mentioned the anime thing, and one of the things that did come up in my research is that this movie has a big following among straight women in China yeah. uh, who, who, who do reflect on it as a Western boy's love story. Uh- <laughs> yeah, I bet. Well, I mean, it has a yeah. big following among straight women in the States. It does. <laughs> and that's its own it thing does. that I feel weird about. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> pretty like, strange. Like, it's fine for you to like this movie, but um, it's not for you, also. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it, it's sort of an element of, like, you know gay stories in mass media where like you can't necessarily control what people connect to in it but like it's uncomfortable (laughs) uh other things other things that happened there's a scene pretty early on where uh oliver is like playing poker with a bunch of like old bald italian guys Mm -hmm. and elliot walks in and he's like how do you know about this place (laughs) yeah and oliver just fully ignores yeah that was a fun little scene yeah God, like, a little bit before that scene, um, when they first go into town together, um, Mm. and Oliver, like, I guess decides that he would like to explore the town on his own, so he gets on his bike and he goes later, and then Elio just gets this, like, kicked puppy look. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, oh yeah, buddy, I've been there. Yeah, I didn't even like connect that to like the the the, the ire that he has about the way he says later. Yeah, like 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 I hadn't really put those together. I do like like I said before. I think it's great that like at the end when he and Elio go off yeah. to you know the countryside, he says he says later at Province. Um, a line that I picked up on that I thought was good. The before they go uh, swimming together, they go to that little pool thing. Um, uh, Elio says that he has an allergy, and Oliver says, "Yeah, me too. Maybe we have the same one." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. God, the coded language. Yeah, and that's the scene where, like, where like Elio's jacking off, and Oliver walks in, and he like, you know, runs to get a book. Yeah. <laughs> so that's... yeah, yeah. All the coded language in this movie is so excellent, and like, it's funny even though i know that it comes from a place of like trauma you know um but yeah it's because like that still happens now to an extent you know like you meet someone you're like not sure if they're queer so you kind of have to be like hey do you listen to girl in red (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) to the point where like what it reminds me of more is like Um, I'm a sober alcoholic and I belong to a group of people who talk about such things (laughs) and we use a lot of coded language to like confirm like where we know each other from. Like, you know, if you run into someone at Walmart and you're like, oh, I'm not sure. 
where where do I know you from? You're not going to be like, oh, have I seen you at such and such? It's like, oh, you know, are you, are you friends with Bill? <laughs> <laughs> um, do we have the same allergy? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you're you're right on the money with the like coded language and the way that like they sort of like use things in their environment to sort of yeah active proxies for their feelings towards each other yeah there's some interesting moments of like because this is a very pretty movie and it is a very like you know concerned with being pretty movie but there are some interesting moments that like break from that in ways that kind of suggest maybe that suggest the the doomed nature of this relationship or maybe that suggests something else but there's um the close-up of the fish head there's the uh the the rash that uh that that oliver gets there's the scene where they're they're in the countryside and they're at this old farmhouse and there's like the picture of, of mussolini that they that they comment on yeah uh yeah just there's just a few interesting moments that sort of like pull out of that of that um you know elegance yeah totally especially the fish because it's like it's a fish that is not yet dead you know it's still kind of gasping um Mm -hmm. and it's like it almost crosses over into being disturbing but not quite at least not for me yeah and there's also like at the end of that scene where they're walking on the countryside together there's like a really hard cut to the to this old italian couple arguing about uh politics first and then uh film (laughs) oh my god i love that scene (laughs) it's a really good scene um just talking about like the I, I mean the 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 idea of the, they're very aware of the setting of this a in italy b in the 80s yeah uh there, there are definitely moments where it comes up. Um, I, t- yeah, I guess the '80s setting is interesting. In a lot of ways, it is, it is kind of timeless. And just that, like, mm-hmm. not, not like eternally timeless, but like it's a '70s, it's an '80s that could be today. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's, there's something about. I mean, I, one of the comments that the that this couple makes is about how Boonwell just died, and they, you know, sort of move from politics to film by, uh, by mm-hmm. talking about that. Um, and try to get people involved in the conversation. And it's like, uh, you know, the dad doesn't want to talk. And Oliver's American. And he's like, he's yeah. American doesn't mean he's stupid. But, uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know. But it's, interesting scene it's also sure. funny because, like, they're trying to get people involved. But they're also not letting anyone get involved, you know? It's like, they're asking. And then the other one of them will answer. And then, Yeah. Just, like, they're just really not letting people get a word in, but, like, almost pretending that they would like other people to participate. Yeah, it's like a, a, a flash of Italy that breaks from the from this idyllic of, idea of Italy that they've been living in. Yeah. Yeah, it's like all of a sudden, anytime somebody comes to, like, visit them at the house, it's like all of a sudden you're, like, in the real world now. 
Yeah, there are, you know, I don't know, whenever there are scenes of, like, a lot of people, like the volleyball game or the mm-hmm. dance, it's like, it, it is sort of this uncomfortable thing. I think it really gets you into, like, because Elio is so uncomfortable in those scenes, yeah. and I think you really sort of get into his headspace where he's been so focused on one person and one life for 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 this stretch of time that, like, when he has to interact with the real world, he, like, doesn't want to. It's sort of similar to um, the Batman <laughs> say more <laughs> just like because you know the i i think bruce i think uh robert pattinson's uh batman is in a similar sort of space in his life to where elio is and just like so much of that movie is about how like he just wants to be batman all the time mm-hmm. and he feels uncomfortable whenever he has to be bruce wayne and um this is sort of like you know elio's batman is is uh being gay god that's so that's so trans <laughs> <laughs> There is. Did you see the Batman? Not yet. I'm excited to watch it. There is a a scene where he is like at a funeral and running into people who knew him when he was a kid. Oh no! That is so transgender. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, you're right. Elio's being Batman is being gay. Yeah. He's and that like becomes an interesting dynamic oh Oh, go ahead i just like and he's sort of in doing that he's sort of losing his identity and that sort of ties into the meaning of call me by your name and i'll call you by mine yeah by yours yeah by mine (laughs) to go back and forth there (laughs) um it's it's a tricky sentence (laughs) Mm -hmm. um Yes, a hundred percent. There's like this, this transit transition of identity, where like he's in this in between period where he's like, oh, I, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know. Like I want to hang out with Elio all day, but then when he gets home, or he wants to hang out with Oliver all day, but then when he gets home from that and he realizes he's too late to hang out with the girl that he's hanging out with, whose name fully escapes me i don't think it matters um all of the women in this movie are just positioned as oh and also there's a woman (laughs) um which i don't have a problem with because it's like it's about like the relationships between men um it's true but also like bears mentioning because of the history of that um yeah but anyway elio is like kind of on the side seeing this french girl um and he had said like the previous night oh meet me here at such time and then he gets home from seeing oliver and he seems like genuinely upset that he like missed the time when he was supposed to see this girl um and i i don't know how to read his relationship with the french girl i don't even know if she's french but she speaks french (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) because like he seems to like genuinely be interested in his interactions with her when they're actively interacting but then you know whenever they're not he just fully forgets about her like later she shows up at his house and she's like you disappeared for three days (laughs) 
yeah i i think part of it is this loss of identity that we're talking about and just like the you know the, the clear like that relationship had been established before what we yeah. see in the movie and this is like something that he's never experienced before so i think you know he he still has whatever feelings he had for her but this is like on, yeah. the, on a different level it's also god this is like a weird thing to say is cute but it's like the scene where they have sex for the first time um and it seems very clear to me that this is like elio's first time having sex where afterwards he rolls over and he's like that felt so good (laughs) yeah (laughs) and it's just so sweet like it's just really wholesome it feels adorable to me you know because it's like he's surprised and i don't know maybe he's surprised because he's like i don't know i thought i was gay but it turns out sex is good <laughs> yeah it it, it, hmm. it it could be a moment of like the, 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 the like like the shame and that and yeah. that like equal and opposite reaction that he has about about these feelings yeah. at first it feels like that could be a moment where like he's he's let go of shame yeah you know yeah that makes a lot of sense it's something that i didn't like i I feel like i just hadn't really picked up on the previous times i watched this is the extent to which like everyone around them knows and like is subtly making accommodations for them to spend time together (laughs) there there's like a, a bit of a progression to it but by the time you're like you know a third of the way into the movie like everyone knows Mm -hmm. and they're always talking about it yeah yeah it's it's very sweet i think maybe like the first time i watched this because i was you, you know it's i was so like seeing it from from elio's perspective it, it just like because he doesn't register that anyone mm-hmm. knows until like pretty late into the movie yeah. he's you know again so laser focused on this that it, mm-hmm. you know everything else just feels like noise um and and so yeah i think that makes it resonant the first time and the second time when you see like these these final interactions with the parents and the yeah you know the the, the, yeah we can talk about the peach we probably should talk about the peach (laughs) (laughs) so this is the gay peach movie (laughs) it is like when people talk about this movie they're either talking about how timothy chalamet fucks a peach or they're talking about how the relationship is predatory yeah so this is really minor but for me it feels important that in the book it's an apricot and in the book there's like this whole like recurring thing of like wordplay with apricots and like horny apricot thoughts like in the mm-hmm. book that is not the only fruit centric eroticism <laughs> um and it feels a lot less out of the blue um i think that's actually something that the book did well um in the movie it feels a little bit american pie <laughs> to me i i see what you're saying definitely um and i don't know if it's just because of like the association of like i'm watching a movie and a man is fucking a fruit this is american pie whereas when i'm reading a book i am not thinking about american pie yeah it's it's strange that they wouldn't go for an apricot given that they do set it up with the with the uh uh, etymology scene but 
I, I, hmm. It seems to me like a change that was probably made because peaches are bigger than apricots. Uh, yeah. And it just feels a little more plausible. <laughs> yeah, and they have, like, the, you know, the association with, with, with sex already. Yeah. I, I think part of the American pineness of it is in the way that uh, that that Oliver reacts. Yeah. Um. And and you know it becomes a tender moment that that they share. And yeah. I think there's a lot to be said about just the symbolism of the fruit yeah. and and you know that the, the connection that it uh, creates between them. But yeah. Uh, yeah. Also in the book, I think he does fully eat the peach or the apricot, and it it feels very much like um like a moment where shame is released in the story um and that's not the only bodily fluid thing that happens in the book um at the end where they they go on their little trip together um there's a scene in the book where they look at each other's poop in the toilet mm. <laughs> which is um a lot um i i would say it's a little too icky for me personally a little bit feels a little uh like it was uh written by someone who didn't really understand the erotic appeal of what they were writing (laughs) yeah um yeah a lot of the book feels very much like um oh you know the weird shit that gay men do (laughs) Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um but i i do appreciate the way that it fits into like the theme of the release of shame and like i understand why he put it in there but also i don't need it <laughs> um yeah and i think cutting that from the movie was chef's kiss yes and i do th- i do think that the the release of shame in the like you know taking a bite out of the peach and the you know just it's it's well done yeah um but definitely feels out of place in a way yeah um my other thought about the peach was that it feels very much to me in this watch it, uh, because i was looking for ways in which the the relationship might be a little inappropriate um it feels very much for me like like oliver is like oh wow this kid is like so so ashamed of like having done something that's like really not a big deal and i would like to communicate to him that it's not a big deal um but i don't think that he i don't think that his goal was accomplished i think like it was a little bit pushy it was a little too jokey um i you know it's it's one of those things where like an adult means well but they they just push a little too far and then you're crying (laughs) yeah yeah and i think there's a place for that within this movie i think you know giving it the benefit of of the doubt and and you know assuming there's an awareness of that i think i think that's you know a strong character decision i think it makes sense and so i i mean i feel like we definitely have to touch on the um the 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 great michael stuhlbarg uh monologue that you know the dad with uh with, with elio um yeah after oliver leaves i mm-hmm. uh, first of all i was i was very into i was just having so much fun with stuhlbarg throughout this movie i think he was a lot of a, a real fun energy oh my god he's <laughs> so good 
What a sweet man. So so great. Yeah. Um. And and that I don't know that uh, obviously that was like sort of the Oscar scene for him. Yeah. But uh, it, it's uh, I don't know. It, it, it's another example of like really well done dialogue where it, you know he's sort of like the reveal of like the level at which he understands and then he's also sort of like hinting at maybe like a relationship that he might have had in the past or might have wanted to have and couldn't yeah um that's another thing that that i picked up on is that like the the dad and oliver both say at some point like you're lucky because my dad would have you know uh kicked me out of the house or whatever yeah um yeah i don't know it's 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 really well done so how much do you know about the book sequel? Uh, little. So the book sequel partially revolves around Elio's dad, um, I think, being a professor and having a love affair with one of his students. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I I bought the sequel when it came out because I was working at a bookstore that shall remain unnamed. And the second I was like, oh, so this grad school professor is writing a book about a grad school professor who is having a relationship with one of his students. No, thank you. <laughs> yeah, pretty bad. Uh, but I do not recognize that as canon to the universe of the movie because I refuse. Elio's dad would never. He's too Absolutely sweet. Not. <laughs> He's a nice guy. Yeah. Charming man. Yeah. He's a serious man. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, before Elio and Oliver go on their day trip, um, there is, um, the visit from the older gay couple um, right <laughs> and i wanted to make sure to touch on that um because it's such a huge thing um but elio like refers to them as sony and share he like doesn't really seem to like them um his parents want him to wear this shirt that they bought him in miami uh which is an excellent shirt by the way, I don't it's understand really why he doesn't like it. It's not too big on him. He's wrong. Um, but after they leave, I think, his dad is like, do you not like them because they're gay or because they're ridiculous? <laughs> <laughs> and that just really um, hit a nerve for me because like, okay. There is a very specific thing that happens, um, I think, like, within the queer community, um, and also, like, within oppressed groups in general, where, like, sometimes, like, you see someone, um, or I'll speak for myself, like, in the past, because this is something that I've done a lot of work on, I have seen, like, a trans person who I perceive as looking, like, just a little too weird, for me mm -hmm. and i feel like this very proprietary like feeling of upsetness where i'm like hey that's too much yeah um and it's something that i've worked on because like you know what that comes from is just like 
the self-hatred that is like so deeply ingrained into queer people um and you know i have a desire to look like a freaky little weirdo like this is not a video medium but right now i have one of my eyebrows dyed pink and the other one is it's natural black like i want to do the weird body mods i want to be like that weird brand of trans like that is gender for me and in the past when i saw people doing that i felt this horrible like shame and like revulsion and a little bit of disgust and like i think that is very much what's happening with elio where like no it's not exactly because they're gay but it's also not exactly because they're ridiculous it's because they're both yeah yeah and i think that yeah that it's this idea of shame coming back and this idea of like like like, is this what i have to be yeah you know yeah um it's it's both like is that what i have to be if i'm gay and also like stop being ridiculous because you're making me look ridiculous by proxy yes exactly um yeah and I think it's another case, like, with the, um, again, the way that uh, Oliver and the dad are both like, my dad would have, you know, yada yada, that that um, is something that, when we did the Sky High episode, we pointed out that um, that the the dad in that movie said something very similar. Um, but it, it's, it, I don't know, I feel like there's a, there's a convergence here of, like, the, the sort of casual attitudes that, like, people who people who don't necessarily have to worry about homophobia can can have about it uh that can you know just just have a a a, a, again can sort of impact the shame that that someone feels even from like people who are accepting or even people who are queer yeah yeah and like i wouldn't even necessarily say like people who don't have to worry about homophobia because like you know i it's not that it became safer for me to like express my gender in freaky weirdo ways um within my lifetime obviously because like yeah like it has gotten safer since the 80s right um right but i had these feelings in like 2018 <laughs> so it's not like things have changed so much in the past four years you know it's just that i i came to realize that the way that i feel about myself is more important um Mm -hmm. and i i don't want to do things out of fear i want to do things out of love um and you know sometimes what you're doing out of love is like keeping yourself safe uh from other people and sometimes what you're doing out of love is keeping yourself safe from yourself the i don't know there's something i think going back to the the dad's monologue i think there's something uniquely kind of vulnerable and honest about how he again like this the impression that i get is that he's he's hinting at you know having had gay feelings in the past and either like not feeling like he couldn't pursue them at all or failing to pursue them um and yeah i just think there's something really uh striking in the way that that is is done and the way that it's not so far as to be like 
to be like a coming out because that would you know be a a big shift or but but like done with a certain awareness and there's you know guadagnino has like done all this talk about how like elio isn't necessarily gay and it's like come on man but (laughs) i yeah i do think there's something that I, i do think that is a moment that sort of hits upon the like the I, I I don't know how the like like it, it it just it goes beyond you know identity is sort of identity is obviously a big part of this yeah. movie but that like identity is sort of a different conversation from this uh, th- this sensation of of desire and like Elio's dad coming out the way that that would have changed the scene for me is that that would have been making a moment about him mm-hmm. um, in a way that would have been like worse parenting. You know, when you're when you're parenting, every moment is not about you. Sometimes the moment has to be about your kid. And I feel like he he handles that line really well of like, you know, saying just enough that Elio is not going to be like, stop, dad, you don't understand me. Um, And not so much that it's like, okay, well, now I'm having to deal with your feelings. (laughs) Yeah, I'm wondering about, like, how much of this I can say on air, but, like, when I came out to my mom, she was, like, she uh, brought members of my dad's family into into the conversation in ways that were not necessarily helpful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, I have absolutely had, like, conversations with my parents, including, like, coming out conversations, where, like, it starts with, like, me saying, hello, I have this feeling and I would like to talk to you about it. And then, you know, 10 minutes later, they're crying and I'm telling them that it's okay. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) And like that conversation could have very easily crossed over into that. But it's not that kind of movie. Absolutely. It's a movie about a kid with really great parents. And I think that also plays into, like, the question of whether or not it's predatory because, like, you know, obviously, regardless of whether or not, like, Elio is being taken advantage of, he is in a risky situation. He's in a risky relationship, right? But for me, that risk is mitigated a lot by the fact that he has this, like, beautiful, like, very supportive relationship with his parents, yeah, and you, like, I think part of the balance of, like, the the parents, like, clearly knowing about it from pretty early on is, like, if, I don't know, you you sort of trust them to, to, to have Elio's uh, best interest in mind. Yeah. Um, I also, going back again, wanted to talk about the scene where, where Elio's mom um, reads the story about the princess and the knight that's such a big part of this movie for me i have a line from it tattooed uh because i'm that kind of gay i'll say just i'll say just generally i did really like the mom watching it this time i thought she was great yeah oh she's so sweet um but yeah like for me that story is the whole movie you know she she tells the first half of the story and then we cut to a conversation between elio and oliver where um elio is like telling oliver about it and he's like oh yeah i know the story i i don't know if it's because 
Elio's parents have also had story time with Oliver. <laughs> um, <laughs> or if he has just come across it. But anyway, Oliver is like, so what does he do? What does the knight do? Does he decide to speak or to die? And Elio says, like, he fudges it or something. And Oliver is like, ah, typical Frenchman. And it's like, Oliver gave Elio, like, this window to to break the the silence in that moment. And Elio fudges it because wow. he's a typical Frenchman. Wow. <laughs> wow. Oh, man. That is a really powerful, like, use of... I mean, in the in the yeah. literal sense, performativity. Yeah. You know, like like words being the action itself. Mm-hmm. That's that's really cool. Yeah, and I just <laughs> I love that moment yeah. so much. Yeah, in a lot of ways, this movie is about like language as action, and you know, again, this this central idea of you know, of of call me by your name, <laughs> and yeah. and you know, yeah, I I just think that. Um, and, you know, we talk about the, you know, how the shame and the progression of, of, of Elio's feelings are sort of fundamental to, like, what this movie is. And I think it's just, you know, a lot of examples of how, like, the way that he speaks and the way that he interacts or doesn't speak is, yeah. you know, reflective of that. It, it, it is the action. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, just, I don't know, the vividness and accuracy of, like that description of what it feels like like you know you either have to say something or you feel like you're literally going to die (laughs) yeah so the last scene of the film uh as as we said earlier uh jumps forward to christmas where hanukkah when they christmas when they (laughs) did that again where they (laughs) return to the um the you know the the place in italy yeah. and uh i mean you know it, it there there was a whole thing at the beginning about uh about how they celebrate christmas and that was sort of the 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 integration of that conversation and maybe there is something about like well, the space of jewish family celebrating christmas that uh i think it was the scene. i think it was not so much that they celebrate christmas just that they go to italy on christmas like regardless of when hanukkah is right i don't know what the you know like in the the same way that that like quote winter break um is really like it's christmas break and then hanukkah falls wherever it falls in relation to that and we don't shift christmas break if hanukkah happens on thanksgiving (laughs) Yeah, but it, it speaks again. I mean, that that idea just you know it speaks again to sort of like contorting yourself to the to the to the to the in group, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Like they're they're centering their like vacations around a group of people that like and a group of traditions that they don't participate in. Um, in the same way that like Oliver is getting married to some lady. <laughs> Yeah, some lady who he's known for three years. And who he failed to mention throughout the whole movie. (laughs) Not once was he like, oh, hey, by the way. Yeah, I mean, I already, you know, sung the praises of that phone call. But, like, really, I I mean, 
it it feels like the moment where the the film sort of reflects on itself for the first time and it's sort of like laying out like this is what this movie's about yeah you know because it's it's been i i think this wasn't as much a vibe movie as i remembered and maybe that's because i recently saw uh memoria which is a movie where like you'll just watch a guy sleeping for five minutes but (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's like a little quicker than i remembered it being but it is a lot of like you know scenes of nature and conversations and like things not really moving in a in a traditional story sense they move in the in a metaphorical story sense but um yeah the this this is sort of the moment that i mean a cuts off the flow by having the sudden time jump and b uh sort of like reflects on the relationship uh sort of and and sort of directly addresses how the movie feels about it which is again not to say that it's a good relationship or a bad relationship but that it's one that cannot last yeah and uh, we see again the you know they're they're sort of like Elio is the one who breaks the ice and you know mm-hmm. uh, he you know he starts going uh, like, Elio, Elio, yes Elio. yeah so for me that's that's what I forgot that I was gonna say um for me that moment where he um calls him by his own name as it were that feels like him asking like hey, like, was it real? (laughs) You know? Yeah. And that's such a resonant thing of, like, any kind of, like, fleeting relationship, any relationship that ends, really. Just, like... Yeah, and it's, like, I feel like we have a tendency to to question the veracity of previous relationships when the other person moves on that, like... And feelings in general don't have to make logical sense but it doesn't make any logical sense you know just because this other person have has moved on like that doesn't change anything that happened yeah and that's why i think it's such a such a powerful like moment of catharsis when oliver says i remember everything yeah it's also it's kind of a moment where like again and talking about how this is the reflection of the relationship we see we sort of see the true power dynamic of it for the first time where like you know uh elio has all the wants but oliver is the one who can like deliver them yeah that's the first moment when it feels like a power dynamic because throughout this movie it just feels like they're just like gallivanting around northern italy having a ball then we find out that oliver has this secret the whole time that changes things I think also, like, part of it is that Elio has been so deeply changed by this relationship, whereas Oliver is, like, returning to the relationship that he was in before, and, like, that that moment where he confirms with Elio, where he's, like, I remember everything, like, it feels like a confirmation that he has also been changed, yeah something that like i didn't even pick up on at the time but it just come to me in the last couple of minutes is that like you know uh oliver talks to the parents and they're like we'll give you some time with elio and elio says they know about us and oliver reveals that he, he knew that they knew about them yeah. like from the beginning basically yeah oh totally <laughs> Which, again, it just sort of recolors this whole, and I think that's a big part of, like, this, you know, this this real, like, sort of emotional yeah. um, collapse that, that Elio has at the very end of the movie is just, like, the 
I, I, like I was saying, just recognizing that there was something beyond yeah. the text in that relationship. There was, yeah. you know, power being exchanged and there were things that Oliver was hiding from him. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. So for me, the admission that Oliver knew feels kind of sweet to me mm. um, because it's like you know deciding to come out to your parents is such like a huge thing uh which it shouldn't have to be right but as society stands um we live in a society yes and and in, um, and in italy in the 1980s they lived in a society <laughs> yes they did in fact also live in a society um which like creates a situation where telling your parents that you're gay is a big deal and like oliver obviously knows that and he's like okay well you know this kid's parents seem to know and that doesn't seem to be creating any sort of safety issue so i am going to just allow this situation to play out like without my interaction on its own time like however it's going to play out because like like elio deserves to have autonomy over that decision you know instead of it being a thing where like he's like oh by the way your parents already know (laughs) yeah i i don't know i think it like from elio's perspective i think it shifts oliver's position to like being in the same place as like his friends and family where they mm-hmm. you know he gets this he, he feels like they're judging him and it's sort of like he, yeah. he becomes part of the shame by the end of that exchange i think yeah i see that reading also um and it makes sense to me i just like it less <laughs> sure <laughs> and then we have uh our final shot uh as the credits roll of yeah. uh elia watching the fireplace yeah god <laughs> uh, yeah yeah i mean like to talk about again the, the great style choices of this movie that is such a like you know a, a flourish to end on yeah. just just you know from a film perspective just like oh and here's this you know three minute uninterrupted shot of timothy chalamet crying <laughs> yeah and it's like so Sometimes when movies do this, um, it feels a little bit masturbatory to me. (laughs) Um, Where, like, they intentionally create uh, a situation for the actor to do, like, the acting equivalent of a backhand spring. (laughs) You know, where they're just showing off. Um, But this, like, because it feels so authentic to them, it just doesn't read like that to me and based on the trajectory that his career has taken so far i believe that timothy chalamet is going to um have a similar trajectory to leonardo dicaprio where he does oscar bait after oscar bait after oscar bait he keeps getting nominated he does not win um and then one day when timothy chalamet is like middle-aged and still dating women in his in their 20s because that seems like something he would do also um he's gonna win his oscar 
and we're all going to be so proud of him, even though he's a problematic fave. <laughs> sure. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> I think this was like, um, you know, I guess it was this and Lady Bird in the same year, but this was really such yeah. a great like. And he was wonderful in Lady Bird too. <laughs> he's he's really good in Lady Bird, but this is you know a a real. I I mean. It's not actually, I, it's not more difficult than it's been for, like, new actors to come out, except that there are fewer, like, Hollywood movies getting made. Mm-hmm. But I I do think this was, like, as, as much a star-making role as something can be, you know? Oh, absolutely. And, like, because of the way that our ages line up, um, you know, Timothy Chalamet is 26, so he's a little bit older than us, but... He's, like, one of the first, like, like rising stars of Hollywood that feels like he's, like, mine, mm-hmm. you know? Like, the relationship that my mom has with, like, George Clooney or whatever. Sure. Where it's, like, you know, I, I'm gonna get to watch his whole career unfold, and I'm so excited because he's just so delightful in movies. <laughs> Yeah. And I know that not everyone agrees with me. Like, some people are like, oh, yeah, like, Timothy Chalamet, like, kind of sucks and he seems like a jackass. And, like, I agree that he seems like a jackass. No argument there. Um, but I, I just, I love to watch him on screen. He's, he's so, he's such a fun guy. <laughs> so we can get into overall thoughts. Uh, but I, like I said, I have some notes on, like, what the status is of the sequel. Mm-hmm. Um, Luca Guadagnino has been talking about doing a sequel since January of 2017 when the movie premiered at Sundance. Um, he expressed interest in setting the film against the political backdrop of the 90s. Uh, he also talked about shooting it around 2020 and have Chalamet be 25-year-old uh, Elio. At one point, he said that he wanted to do five movies. <laughs> oh my that were god! Out- the call me by your name cinematic universe (laughs) yeah just at like different stages of their lives in each movie (laughs) my guy we don't need that (laughs) we really don't um james ivory from day one has been dismissive of the idea of doing sequels (laughs) he is not interested and and he's he's right to be so um Guadagnino made progress on the script. He was working with the author to flesh out the story. By late 2018, Chalamet confirmed his involvement and said that it was still moving forward. Guadagnino revealed that he had asked Dakota Johnson to play a role in the sequel as Elio's wife. Oh, dear. (laughs) Oh, no. Listen, I always love to see Dakota Johnson, but like... (laughs) (sighs) You're just not giving it to us. I don't need Elio to have a wife. <laughs> Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And, th- and that's the thing is that like, like I was saying before, like why didn't you know it so many times through this process was like, was like, he doesn't even have to be gay. It's just about like desire. And it's like, but let it be gay. <laughs> like, like, yeah. like, let it be about a gay guy. <laughs> like, sure. I guess he doesn't have to be gay, but he could be. <laughs> right. He could be. And that would be great. Yeah. Let us have one thing right so yeah by 2018 like more and more people were saying like it's gonna take a couple years to do this we're like <laughs> like don't, like give us some time on this and around the same time asaman announces that he's writing a sequel to the book 
that sequel comes out in late 2019 to mixed reviews. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, news starts to slow after that. In March 2019, Hammer says the film isn't officially in development. There seems to be some consternation about like what to do with the second book. There's a lot of talk about like, well, this isn't really what we wanted to do. <laughs> like, we're yeah. gonna do something different. Um, but obviously, the the existence of the of the, of yeah. the book made it complicated. In March 2020, Guadagnino is meeting with, he does this interview at the start of the pandemic that's like, I'm meeting with new writers to try to help me make this happen. He's looking for a co-writer to work on this. Uh, In September 2020, Army Hammer does uh, pretty much, one of the last interviews about this, he he says that um, the script is still unfinished. And then, in early 2021, Army Hammer is in the news. Yeah, he sure is. He sure did <laughs> get on the news. He got in all the headlines. Um, it's generally agreed that uh, the, the the halting of all Army Hammer productions has pretty much <laughs> moved this out of out of conversation. The Call Me by Your yeah. Name sequel. Listen, if it happens, will I watch it? Maybe. I don't know if if they explicitly tell me we have made a sequel that has nothing to do with the sequel that was written with like the book yeah. sequel. Yeah. Then I would be like, yeah, okay. Tell me more. Are they gay? If they're not gay, I'm not buying. But also like I love the idea of these characters just beginning and ending at the beginning and ending of this you know, like, at no point does anyone date anyone else. <laughs> um, at no point does anything happen. Like, I don't even want Elio to get, like, a job. You know, I just want him to end, like, sitting in front of that fire while his mom sets the table for dinner, you know? I feel that. I think, like, yeah, if if there were a sequel, I think I'm enough of a fan of, like, Luca Guadagnino that I'd be like, yeah, I'll come out for this. Um, but I also do think that a lot of what works about this movie is the script. And, like, knowing that James Ivory is definitely not involved is uh, uh, a put-off. But I also think that, yeah, I think it's, like, kind of really fundamental to this, to, to this movie that, like, this is a, a, a once-in-a-lifetime sensation and this isn't this is something that that comes and goes very pointedly yeah it's like it's like if they made a sequel to dirty dancing where like baby and whatever his name is like i don't know work together at a coffee shop like what kind of au fanfic is this yeah you know like they just run into each other at a function yeah, there's, I mean, I, I, I guess I see the template of, like, the, the before movies, the, you know, before sunset, before sunrise, whatever, um, where, like, th- these people meet and then they meet again and their lives have changed. But, like, I don't know, because this, because, again, this isn't that kind of movie where it's, like, where it's, like, talky and it's about, you know, the, you know, just the interactions that they have. It's really about, like, the relationship and it's about how Elio comes of age from the relationship and that is something that is, like, pointedly teenage pointedly singular like pointedly something you cannot do again so yeah overall um i 
see this as like i probably overall think of this as like an eight out of ten movie <laughs> like they're yeah. definitely you know i how i feel i i do think that the movie is a not about the relationship and be kind of uh aware and ambivalent about the potential uh fraughtness of the relationship whether or not th- that uh, uh, ambivalence fits right with me i'm not sure but um yeah uh beautifully written beautifully shot uh has i think a few small problems that uh are are significant enough for me not to call it like you know one of the great films uh, in recent yeah. memory yeah um agreed mostly i like i don't know i like that it's a movie that i was able to digest and relate to when i was still like in denial about a lot of the like predatory nature of things that i experienced um but also it's a movie that i can still like come back to and not have it feel gross i'm glad that it's the movie it's the kind of movie that kind of straddles that line in such a way where like it doesn't make me uncomfortable now that i have like processed a lot of my stuff but it also like at the time before i had processed my stuff didn't like present me with a mirror to look at uncomfortably (laughs) sure you know it's not like i came out of that movie and was like god i'm really gonna have to think about some things Mm -hmm. no i just came out of that movie and i was like god i'm so sad (laughs) you know and now i come out of that movie and i don't have to feel gross about it i can just be like oh yeah like this is a movie that means a lot to me and it's about one of the many gray areas that people experience like yeah. yeah so thank you so much for joining me you have been an amazing guest is there anything you want to plug before we sign off um yeah so i'm actually um i do podcast production for a living um the podcast that i currently work on does not really uh fit the vibe slash target audience of um this podcast but i am um in the process of setting up my own independent um, podcast called called drew talks shit which is a podcast where i talk about whatever i want and i don't care if people listen okay um The first episode is going to be about um, the opening sequences of the various installments of the Scream universe. Okay. Um, and I love the Scream I'm, universe. I'm having so much fun with it. Uh, I'm going to talk about the TV show also, which is very exciting. The TV show, yeah. Did you see the new one? Yes, I did, and I loved it. I was really into it. (laughs) I was so afraid before I watched it because I was like, if this is bad, I'm going to have to kill myself. (laughs) Um, But it was so good. And I think they they did a really good job of honoring Wes Craven and what he would have wanted. Yeah. I love how they're able to like 
keep building new layers onto it. <laughs> you know, I like I think it took me a little while to get into this movie. I took into the new scream. I feel like I'm a little bit like all the kids are too pretty now and they, they can maybe scale that back a little bit. No, I but love the new kids. They're so they're cute. great. The, they're great. The little sister. Uh, I can't remember her name, but the younger carpenter. Um, yeah, that girl is such a good actress. She's like, I looked it up. She's like 19 or something. And I'm like, wow, like, I don't think I've experienced that much emotional depth in my entire life. I'm a couple years older than you and someone who has been through a lot of shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Jenna Ortega. She was, uh, she's really good in X too. Yeah. And she's um, in Studio Six Six Six. I forgot about that. She's a she's the new Scream Queen. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm so excited to see her in other. So you just got a little preview of what you can expect from this new podcast. Uh, and to those of you who have uh, followed with us for this uh, about two hour journey, um, thank you so much for for listening. If you like the show, you can subscribe to my Substack or just share it with your friends and talk about how good it is. This is one of the best things you could do. And I will see y'all next week. I disagree, Gary. I disagree, Gary.